Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This Sunday, Klaus Potsch will take us through Daniel chapter 1, a book in the Bible that he's planning to continue to teach from in future sermons. Starting this book today, we will get to know more about the setting and the history and how Daniel was affected by the disobedience of the Israelites. But how did Daniel deal with the situation and how important was his faith? To find out more, let's listen to Klaus. Today, um, I'm happy that Klaus Poch is here. Um, he will start with uh, Daniel chapter 1. And as I've heard, it will be uh, a few more sermons, but that was the first one. So thank you that you're here. I'm excited. Good morning, everybody. I would just like to invite you to move forward because the the fonts may be a little bit small for the last row. And it will be a longer sermon than I usually uh, hold because of all the background I want to give you to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is very special to me because I studied it for three years. I won't believe it. It was sometimes uh, very hard to find out the structure, but it was absolutely rewarding. And I was once asked, um, it was a secular interview, and they asked me, of all of history, which person would you like to meet personally? I said, Daniel. He lived a long life, you will see that, and he served three kings. And what, do I have some remote control? The first is a, a history lesson and a little bit geography. Um, all the material that you will see have in handouts have about 10 copies. I will give you this afterwards. And we'll see first, let, let's look where the... Thank you. Where the, where the book of Daniel is placed in the Christian Bible, we have the Pentateuch, the historical books, and you, they're all listed here. Then we have the wisdom li literature. Then we have the major prophets. This is where Daniel is placed. It's not the longest of the major pro um, prophets, but it's probably because of the impact it has. And then we have the 12 minor prophets. Then come the placement of the, in the Hebrew Bible, it's a little bit more complicated. Normally here in the Hebrew writings, we have the law and the prophets. Well, the law is easy. That's Moses' books. And then the writings, the prophets, are the, we have the former prophets, the historical books. Interesting that they call them prophets. Then we have the latter prophets. The three major uh, prophets is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then the 12 minor problems are prophets like in the Christian Bible. And then they have the poetic books, Psalms, Proverbs, Job. And then the five scrolls, Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. And then come the other books. Daniel, it seems that he has a minor role there. Ezra and Nehemiah and Chronicles. We have... We have Ezra and Nehemiah separate, but it is, in my views, right to put them as, uh, see them as one book. I will talk about the content, the places, the period, the people, the punishment, and the purpose of the exile. And the genre of the book is, it's prophetic. At first, it's historical. The first half, except chapter 2, is pretty prophetic. And then the second half is heavy. That's going into the future in place in the Old Testament, the same role that the revelation of John is playing in the Christian book. Now, it starts in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. 
And the best thing is to understand history is to study that a little bit, to give some insight. I remember when uh, it was very helpful when I was a year in, in Russia studying, that before I went, I, st I read a book on Russian history. And when I came there, I understood, okay, this church is from this period, and this, this person on this monument res um, represents this time and so on. Very helpful. So the Middle East here you have is called the Fertile Crescent. High cultures always develop where water is. You need water in that area. So you have on the one hand, you have Egypt, and it spans over Palestine. Now it is Syria and Mesopotamia. And the interesting thing is that the, the Holy Land is in the land bridge between the two high cultures, Mesopotamia and Egypt. Two rivers, Euphrates and Tigris and the Nile. It's a small land bridge. I learned that when I was in Israel and um, an officer from the army explained to us what, what the um, uh, importance is. And also very interesting, if you are a little bit um, understand geometry and you know what the center of gravity is in a triangle or in, in a square or in something else, the center of gravity of all the land masses is Jerusalem. And the bridge over which you uh, move, you have to, if you go from Egypt to Mesopotamia or vice versa, you have to go through the Jezreel Valley. This is, we have here Megiddo. This is where the last battle of history will be fought between good and evil. And then we have Mount Carmel where Elijah fought or dealt with the, with the pagan prophets and priests. I, I was once there on the tell of my Megiddo, and you see that this Jezreel Valley, it's, one, it's more or less the breadbasket of the northern kingdom. A plain, really fertile. And to give an idea what the powers at that time were, you have here on the one side Egypt, starting 2,500 or more before Christ. Then you have the two kingdoms here, Judah and Israel. Then Assyria, Babylonia, and Elam. Elam is more or less hardly mentioned in the Bible, but it doesn't matter. Assyria, they were fierce warriors taken by Babylonians, and you find that in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, in Psalm 78, and in Psalm 137. Babylon, on the other hand, with its um, capital, was founded by Nimrod. And remember, in Genesis, Nimrod was not a good guy. He wanted to build the Tower of Babel to reach God or be God, and then the confusion of languages and everything started. So it's more or less the devil's place. Oh, I forgot here to give you kingdom, northern Israel, and Judah, southern Israel, um, southern Palestine. Yeah. Egypt was an old empire taken by the Romans. Babylon was uh, taken by the Persians. Israel was taken by the Assyrians. And Judah was also taken by the Babylonians. So, what you see from the history, there was a lot of fighting going on. Power, who has, is dominant, who has, gets all the riches, and so on. And a little bit, what I want to show you, um, all the data that are following now are from Wikipedia, and you have to be a little bit careful with the years, the dates. They differ from source to source. And I noticed this once when I heard a presentation of um, Walter Veit. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, but really studied the, especially the time of the um, Exodus from Egypt. What, what is mentioned in the documents and are chiseled in the stones is different what sometimes really happened. Because the winners write the history. And there are some battles 
you, you, you don't mention, are not mentioned in the Bible because they are not important. They are not important for the losers and so on. But what, what you he, see here, I'm highlighted in yellow those names that you will find in the Bible. Sennacherib was a king of Assyria. You see from the time, 705. Sargon is not mentioned, but 722 was the fall of the northern kingdom. Then you have the Babylonian dynasties. You have the Assyrians dominated in the area. Then the Chaldeans came from the south, where the, where the, close to the Gulf of, of, of um, yeah, Persian Gulf. They moved north, established Babylon, and also um, besieged and won Assyria. And later on, the Achaemenid dynasty, these are the Persians and the Medes, they came from Iran, from the mountains into the lower lands and conquered there. And then at the end, Alexander the Great came and the Selachites ruled over that area. So this is an absolutely brief history that you can get. Now look at the Babylonian Chaldean dynasty. This is the dynasty, these are the people or the kings that are, were living at the time of the exile. The whole thing started in 605 when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. He was the son of Nabopolassar and the last king was Nabonidus and he was overthrown by Cyrus. Then you have Cyrus the Great, which is not a Chaldean king. What we need to add still is Egypt. Egypt had, you see already, 25th, 26th dynasty. They have the early kingdom and so on. And we are now in the late period already. The high culture of Egypt was on decline. This is when they, th they thought they can win sometimes. And um, Pharaoh Necho II, he's at the bottom, is the Pharaoh most likely to be mentioned in the Bible? Because he thought, after the Babylonians conquered Assyria, he thought with the Assyrians that were left, he could march over and with the support a little bit of, the, um, of Israel, uh, Judah, he could win over the Babylonians. And there was the, the key battle was the, the battle at Carchemish. He lost. And, and from this battle to pursue the Egyptians, Nebuchadnezzar went south and met the kingdom of Judah. Yeah, because he wanted to, uh, to give them a lesson, teach them a lesson because they were joining the Pharaoh against him. You don't get all this with a lot of studying. I read a lot of pages on the internet, as I said, and you know we had, in Israel, we had the kingdom, Saul, David, Solomon, and then the kingdom split into the northern kingdom, Israel, and Judah in the south. Yeah, they had 19 kings in the north. Ephraim, it's also called, Samaria being the capital. No good king. And Amos and Hosea were the prophets, and they warned everybody there, but they didn't listen. And also Isaiah in 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 5. The southern kingdom, you see the kings, they had, how many was there? Yeah, 20 kings. Six were good. At least they had a good king. The northern kingdom had no good king. You, you read the term all the time, and he did in the evil in the sight of the Lord. Standard phrase for every king there. So, two started out good, turned bad, and the rest, 12, were bad. The last good king was Josiah in green here. That's this man. Then we have one uh, who ruled, those two ruled just a few months. And then we had Jehoiakim and Zedekiah as the last one. And the red arrows signal or the, um, point out where the deportations happened. 
the yellow boxes here are all the prophets. Can you imagine God is speaking and warning them, and they don't listen. We will see this later on. There's also the political scene. Yeah, uh, also you see the deportations, Assyrian deportation. The first one was here, and what I pointed out to be, watch out for the dates. They may differ from the sources. Here, these, the dates, I doubt those here. They don't fit to the Wikipedia source. But here you see there's one deportation here, then comes the second here, and the third one east. And this is where Carchemish, the battle, happened. To give an idea, where is Carchemish? Yeah? Somewhere not between the sand dunes. No, it was um, along a river. They fought there. And the political scene, I uh, listed uh, for you all the important dates. If you are a fan of history, you can read them in the material that you can take home later. And also, you see the... Judah was carried away to Babylon. The three years that are mentioned here differ by one year from the list that I have, but doesn't matter. You know, they were carried away. And now let's go after this history lesson a little bit deeper into the first chapter. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Land of Shinar, that's Babylon. This is the start of the exile. We are in the year 605. The prophecy concerning the vessels, you will find them in Isaiah chapter 39, verse 6. And it was fulfilled in that year. You could see, look at this deportation from outside the Bible. You could think, okay, Nebuchadnezzar just wanted to show power. He was greedy. He wanted to possess and conquer everybody. But on the other hand, there's a spiritual side, and the spiritual side, the purpose of the exile for Judah was a lesson or a consequence of their actions in the past. You may remember when I talked about Habakkuk. Sorry, I always get confused with how you intonate the the prophet in German and English. It's, It's different. So we're in Habakkuk, verse... Chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look at the, on, on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. These are the big questions of Habakkuk. Why is this happening, Lord? Do something. Well, he did. Also, Isaiah already, Isaiah was 50 to 80 years prior to 605. So this was a long time before. He said already, alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons of act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel They've turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged, nor softened with oil. It went down with Judah, with Israel, the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom as well. And it is like a cycle of every culture. Take Assyria, Babylon, Medium, Persia, Egypt, Greece, Rome. First you have a rise. There's fresh blood coming in, good morals, they're unspoiled. They conquer, they build an empire. It's the golden age. 
and they achieve something. But afterwards, there is decline. The morals go downhill. Uh, they are they're using the accumulated wealth, the riches, and no further creativity. They just use up everything. Or the three stages of immigrants into a country. Have you ever heard of them? The first generation, uh, generations bleeds and dies. The second generation enjoys its work achievements, and the third generation squanders and dissipates luxury. Happened also. Listen to some American preachers. They say, we are on the decline already. Is America great again? We lost so much, and now America first. We want to get, regain strength. We want to concentrate on our strength. And they withdraw from the ends of the world. So it is, they don't feel strong enough or competent enough, whatever. And now that the exile happened, yeah, I want to come to a specific prophecy that you will find in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 11, and I abbreviated it a little bit. You see all where the three dots are. I left something out, but I read it to you. It's worthwhile listening to. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, the fourth year of the king, saying, 23 years the word of the Lord has come to me. Because Jeremiah was preaching before the Exodus, before the deportation, and during and a little bit afterwards. And I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil ways and from the evil of your deeds, and do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about, and make them an everlasting desolation. And the nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. This is the, the famous 70 years that Daniel is investigating in, I think it's in chapter 9 of the book. This is, of course, a consequence. And even in, in the law, it was mentioned. But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, with which I charged you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be. And then come, I counted them, 66 warnings and curses. 66. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end to the earth and to the other end of the earth. The purpose is clear. Political, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to show his power. God wanted to show his power and tell them, you have to bear the consequences. This is a lesson for us today. Our acting, our behavior does not bears the fruits. Yeah? Like um, Murphy says, no good deed goes unpunished, which is, is perverting the situation a little bit, but it's just making fun of it. But there is, there are consequences. Sometimes, I have to admit, you get sick. You lose your job. But it's not a quant consequence of your bad behavior or something that you did. Maybe it's a test and so on. Another, another topic that I don't want to go into now. But you know what? You have to also think a little bit from the perspective of the conqueror. You conquer a land and want to possess it and run it or rule over it. 
What do you need to do? You have to deal with the leadership there and with the spiritual situation. The problem was that when, when, you t uh, when you come there, you have to break the neck of the people spiritually. So you go into their temple, take their goods there, and bring them out in your house. In ancient thinking, that was a demonstration. See, the conqueror, the conqueror's gods are more powerful than the god of the people that you were in war with. Get the thinking? But this is God, and from our perspective, God just lets it happen. That's different. And he stored them in the temple of his God, probably the head God of the Babylonians was Marduk, by the way. And we're going further again in Daniel. Then the king, we're now in Babylon already. The first wave came, and then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and all the nobles. Youth in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligent in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them in the literature of language of the Chaldeans. Well, to exploit the prey, in that case, the people, you take the leadership away, intelligence, yeah, so that they ha don't have future leaders and run the country by themselves again. Take the leaders away. The hope of the future. Here is a, a guess how old Daniel was among them. How old was Daniel at that time? If they had to be taught, they were in an age where they were able to be taught. That means 15, 16, puberty or so, whatever. Give an idea, so deportation 605. 15 years earlier, maybe Daniel was born in 620. This is a rough guess, but it's important. And when you read here, he took them hostage because, remember, Nebuchadnezzar came, besieged Jerusalem. His father died. He had to go back, so he had no, not a little time to, uh, to deal with Judah. So he took a few people, like the youth, the nobles, the, ability, um, the able people, and took them as hostage and left Ye uh, Jehoiakim king in Judah. And he thought, okay, that's fine. I'm still king. I can um, try to be independent again and start a revolt, which he did. And then Nebuchadnezzar came in 597 again for the second deportation. But Ashpenaz, the chief of the Nebuchadnezzar's palace affairs, is a man of great power. Chief of staff, you would call them, in, in the White House. And they were trained to become officials. The, que the question of the name officials is translated that way in, um, in English. The original translation would be eunuch. Whether they would be emasculated is not said, not important. But this Ashpenaz should organize a re-education of the youth. It sounds to me like in 2015 when our government set up a value and orientation course for the immigrants. Tell them how our culture operates, what system we have, parliament, and so on. And Nebuchadnezzar recruited officials for future time. Maybe he could use them to run... Um, Judah again, so, or other provinces. Well, what were the prerequisites of the youth? Of course, attra attractive winning appearance is always good. Although they had no TV, but 
when they spoke, winning appearance, nice speech, nice words, and so on, uh, was important. Intelligence, the intel intellectual capability to, to handle the science of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were pretty advanced in math, astronomy, astrology, and so on. Understanding, getting the meaning, the purpose of behavior and actions, understanding especially the culture of the Chaldeans. Discerning knowledge, critical thinking. Not in such a way they said, well, I don't like Nebuchadnezzar, I start my own empire. No, critical thinking, discerning, like being judge or making decisions in, in um, running a region. And the um, serving ability that social, concerns social skills, support for others, and loyalty to the king. And what is also important was, of course, if you want to do, uh, to be an official there, be part of the system, you have to know the language. At that time, it was Akkadian and Aramaic, like the first chapter. Um, first, I think the first two chapters of Daniel are written in Aramaic and then in Hebrew, and then another, I think the end also in, in Aramaic again. Like, you experience it yourself. Go to the 10th district and listen. Who speaks German there? I wouldn't say that that's a non-German-speaking area of Vienna, but what we want to, want to have is that the people who are living there, coming from other countries, understand us. And I remember when we had, there was a long time ago, I think um, uh, there was a debate about citizenship in Austria, and I wrote to Andreas Kohl, I said, well, citizenship for applicants, fine, but they need to know German. Because when they appear in court or go to an office, I don't want to pay for a translator as a, as a citizen with my tax money. So then you have to be able to know the language because you need to learn uh, to be able to read the literature, including science and astrology. And the idea was also to take away their faith. And they had to understand the pantheon, the system of gods that they had. And especially they had literature in that area. It was the Enuma Elish and the Gilgamesh epic. And they were in stark contrast to Genesis, creation of the world in how we see it. And the Jews, on the other hand, were also ordered by God not to serve other gods. We read that already. And to keep them separate and not to mix and intermarry. Now comes the, one of the lessons of the, of the chapter, Daniel 1.5. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Well, the training program, the re-education would last for three years, and after that, they, wanted, they were employed in Nebuchadnezzar's entourage, in his government or whatever. And Nebuchadnezzar was very generous. Well, let them have my food and my wine. And also, normally when you are a prisoner or a deported one, you are happy that you have food at all. And they got more than that. Also, they may have to get used to that choice food and they didn't want to miss that, so they would serve Nebuchadnezzar further on. But on the other hand, it could be that the, Chalde that the food at the court contained ingredients that were con in contrast to the dietary laws of the Jews. Maybe pork or something else, I don't know. But you will see that um, Daniel stands up 
and says, Now among them for the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. In the Middle East, the names mean something. And I remember um, friends of ours, they had a daughter, their name was Or. And I assume you don't know what that means. That means in translated light. So when the, at home, when the someone, can you turn the light on, has a kind of a double meaning. What was the purpose of giving new names? It was the Hebrew names, as we will see. The Hebrew names had to do with Yahweh, the God of Judah, of the Israelites. And the new names, the Babylonian names, had to do with their gods. So it was, they wanted to change their had the thinking, yeah? They were not called by the name like, God is my judge. No, Prince of Bel. Something else. Complete different philosophy, religious system. So this is, was also brainwashing a little bit. But you will see later on, there were, in this chapter, these uh, Babylonian names are not used. They're only used, the, um, the writer uses only the Hebrew names for these four guys. Now comes But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice of food, with the wine which he drank. He sought permission from the commander of the official that he might not defile himself. The king's choice food may have been really seductive, but he could not have gotten better food than from the king's table. There was a clash between the Babylon, what the Babylonians ate and what Daniel was allowed to eat from the law. There was probably unclean food on the table. Wine was not the problem. Tell you a story. Reminds me of of in the church where I was before, the preacher always started his sermon, tell you a story. So I will tell you a story now in the middle of it. There was once um, a dinner of a small group. And at some point, one of the men said, well, let's raise our glasses. They had wine. And one person did not raise the glass. And he said, um, are you not drinking wine? No. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. And one other guy said, you don't know. Um, it's harder. Not, it takes more courage not to do something than to do something. And guess what? There was a silence for a minute on the, at the table. And it looked like as the speaker to the one who abstained from drinking was devouring the speaker yeah, who spoke up. Well, learning languages, learning advances in science, and accepting new names was not forbidden by the law, but about eating, there were strictly regulations, clear instructions, and Dalian did not want to accept their lifestyle. You see, eating is very uh, well connected or tightly connected to the lifestyle, what you eat. If you are close to the sea, you will eat more seafood than in a landlocked country as we are. And yeah, Daniel did not compromise and rejected the temptations. He stood firm on his hind legs for his conviction, like the, in the story that I just told. Nowadays, we are used to compromise so much. We... We give in a little bit here, a little bit there. If someone is persistent in getting something, you might say, okay, a compromise, I'll give that to you, but just leave me alone. There's nobody here from that nation. I call that the Russian method. Because I had once um, um, 
a guest worker in my office, and he was so persisting on his ways that I call this the, the Russian method. Just walk on someone else's nerves until you get it. Sometimes it's, it's very helpful. I used that method once, and it worked. It took, it took a long time to convince the person, but it worked. It's not nice, but it, it, it uh, serves the purpose. In both cases, you may give up your principles, giving in or just saying, okay, you can have it. Going for a compromise, the, the Romans had a, in Latin a short expression for that, do ut des. I give so that you give as well. So each one has to give in a little bit. And there are some people in politics that are masters of that. Mutti Merkel, for instance, he, she was great in com making compromises, and other people as well. The question is, like, will we um, make a compromise and talk to the Taliban? We give up our principles. Will they give up their principles? They want to speak at the UN. Give, do we give in? Yes or no? Or in business, it's the same thing. You, you give in so that you get a deal. If you negotiate with Chinese state officials, you don't talk about human rights. You give up your principles. If you want to pursue a career, you may give in at the office. Sometimes it's not saying something. Sometimes it's also not doing something. But if you don't do something and someone raises an idea, this idea may spread. And if you don't contradict, this idea may spread. And pretty soon it's common knowledge and commonly accepted. And then you've lost already. So I encourage you, stand on your hind legs and speak up. In biblical perspectives, if we strike, stick to the word of God, we will not be part of the world anymore. The world is used to relative truth and rejects the absolute truth. I remember once talking to a friend about Jesus, and I said, well, you're either for Jesus or you're against. He didn't like both positions, so he said, couldn't be there a third way. No, there is none. Either yes or no. This is... And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Be separate. God himself sets us apart by believing when we believe in his son Jesus. This is called sanctification. God dwells in us in his temple. Do you think he wants to dwell in an unsanctified body? So stay on his side. Another ex examples in the Bible who stood on their conviction and did not get the, uh, give in. Ruth, for instance. She said, I will go with Naomi and serve her God. David asked in Psalm 19 that he might observe the law and the evildoers not distract him. And here we have the, uh, Daniel. In Hebrews 13, 12 to 13, we read, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp. To stay outside the camp, you need boldness, courage, and not be ashamed of it. Daniel displayed it by asking Ashpenaz to be or the, com or the commander of them. The, the kitchen crew or whatever it was, I want a different food. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials, and the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youth who are your own age? 
then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So he was, it was quite strict, the law there, when the Nebuchadnezzar, absolute monarch, said, that's it, it had to be. So Daniel had to come with an idea. Daniel said, To the overseer whom the commander of the officials has appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Sounds good, yeah? The commander agreed. But 10 days different food doesn't really matter. But that was Strike a deal, yeah? Let's do, make a compromise, yeah? Let's try it for 10 days, and we'll see. And some people think that vegan people do not survive. One of my daughters is vegan. Always when I go with her on a, on a, a tour in the mountains, I think, will, he, will she make it? But, but she does. She does. There are numerous celebrities who are either vegetarians or vegans. Like, if you know American football, Tom Bradley, he's vegetarian. Steve Jobs, Apple, was vegan. And I'm not sure if Galinde Kaltenbrunner, our climber, if she's vegetarian or not. Could be. They were great performers and did not lack anything. They had strength and and all what normal people have, no physical deficiencies. And this was now a food contest. Not only just did they have to learn something, they also have to um, eat differently. Would 10 days of a different diet means a stark difference? No. Like, but it was a testing period. The number 10 here stands for test. You have the 10 plagues, the 10 commandments, the 10th that you are giving to the Lord. Ten days wouldn't make a huge difference, but three years would. But still, wine was not allowed. For the Levites in service and for kings and princes, it says in Proverbs 31.4, it is not for kings, or Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine and for rulers to desire strong drink. Therefore, Daniel refrained from wine and asked the water instead because it was coming from nobility. So he listed them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youth who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. I wonder who ate their portions. <laughs> Someone in the kitchen said, thank you. As for the four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. It was that after the, that was the end of the training program. Three years passed. All passed and Daniel even was granted understanding of dreams that was during sleep time and visions during awake time in a culture that valued this ability, as we will see in the next chapter, chapter two is the first interpretation that Daniel did of a, a vision. Then at the end of these days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and out of them not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. What is a training if you don't have a final exam? At school you have the matura or whatever, yeah? If you are in a in a, in a crafts 
in education, you have the, the exam for your master. Of course, the four youths were brought before the king and orally examined. They passed with honors. Now we would call it summa cum laude, or the summa cum laude in English, because they were better than, ten times better, again, ten times tested, better than the locals. Then they started to serve the king. This is what standing before the king means. They, are, they were servants now of the king. Like God said about Nebuchadnezzar, this is my servant. They were servants to the king. They were more knowledgeable than the local intelligence, and this is dangerous because they made enemies that way, possibly. You will see that the, um, when Daniel interpreted the magicians were not really happy about that. But God was still on their side. Daniel and company understood the spiritual world of the Chaldeans because they knew the truth inside. Yeah, they kept themselves separate outside the gate. And then you have Daniel continued under the, until the first year of Cyrus the king. So we are now in the year probably 535. So Daniel may have been of an age of, uh, reached an age of 85 years. Remember what is said uh, in David's time, I think, the lifespan of a man is 70 years. I'm already past that. Thank God I, I got already a few extra years. But I see from friends now, we have two friends who had open heart surgery. My best man had heart surgery and so on. It's really... Hard to see that people, how people kind of, I wouldn't say decay. I only know that my teeth are not good. <laughs> this is what decays with me. And now we come to the summary. First lesson, God runs the history. He raised up Assyria to punish the northern kingdom. He raised up Babylonia to punish the southern kingdom. And he raised up the Medes and the Persians to punish Babylonia. Nebuchadnezzar was installed by God. We, re we read in Jeremiah 27, 6, Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. We learn also rejecting God's commands and not listening, pay attention to his words, has consequences. Exile for in case of Judah and Israel. Standing firm on your principles requires courage and is finally blessed. Be creative in solving difficult situations. Well, can we have a test for 10 days? Yeah, good. It is good to have a mentor, and the mentor was Ashpenaz in, tough, in this tough situation. Do we have a mentor in tough situation? Yes. You can't have no better than Jesus. Amen. <laughs>